Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Nice to see you all here today. All right, now turn in your Bibles to Acts 1.8, if you can. Acts 1, verse 8. Okay, this sermon is called A Call to Serious Christianity, and it's the part two. If anyone's, well, a few of you were here, quite a few of you here for part one, and part one went up on YouTube just the other day. So um, <clears throat> I thought I'll do part two. Are you ready? Yep. All right, so part two. Acts 1, verse 8. Okay, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then it says this, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you will receive power, and then you will become, in the Greek, martus or martyrs. And the term martyr, you have to understand, martyr means witness. Martyr, at that time when Jesus said it, did not mean someone who will lay their life down. It meant someone who will witness for Jesus. Martyrs became known as the kinds of martyrs of what we think of a martyr as today because all the witnesses of Christ from the early days were martyred for their faith. So that's why the term witness became known as someone who lays their life down, literally, for Jesus Christ. So now what I really want you to look at, whereas it says you'll receive power, okay? And this is something I really want to look into. And my question is, do we have the power? Is there more that God wants to give us? Is there more that God wants to enable us to achieve for him by him giving us something that we may think we already have, but we really don't have it. And I've, I've wrote a book about this, and it's called So You Think You Are Baptized with the Holy Spirit. The reason I wrote that book was why I was so disillusioned with what I saw out there. Christians claiming power, yet not having power. You know, if there was, if this, if we were all baptized and empowered in the Holy Spirit like the early church, shouldn't Adelaide be getting turned upside down right now? Because that's exactly what happened when the disciples received power. They turned the known world upside down. Everywhere they went, like there's times where Paul went into certain cities and within a short space of time, the whole city turned out to hear Paul preach. Right? I know with mass evangelism and mass promotion and all that sort of stuff, we've seen some pretty big evangelists through the, uh, you know, in the past hundred years. And even over the centuries, we've seen some incredible moves of God. And that's God moving by power. Some of the evangelists, I, if you've looked into some of their teachings, I'm a little bit skeptical about how they got such a massive following and how they got so much favor in the eyes of the world. And that's the other thing. Jesus says, if you know, if they hate me, they'll hate you also. So if the whole world embraces you, you've got to be careful. You've got to start questioning, you know, is this a God thing? Is God doing this through me? Or have I compromised somewhere and now Satan's using me because I don't threaten him anymore and he may as well, he gets, he's promoting me to these high ranks, right? Do you sort of get where I'm going with that? Look into that as well. I, won't, I don't want to name any names. I don't want to name names. Um, anyway, so Acts 1.8 is you receive power. From all my studies and research and from seeking God, uh, I should say God in prayer, I've found that the missing link in Christianity today is that most don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people get offended when I say that. They say, how dare you say that to me? I have the power of the Holy Spirit. Really? There's, there's two stages 
uh, very clearly spoken about. And, and, and I know if you've, any of you have been under my ministry for very long, you know that Jesus breathed the Spirit upon his disciples. And he said to them, anyone know the words? This is before he was uh, crucified. Oh, sorry, no, before he ascended, before the Holy Spirit was sent, before Pentecost. He had been raised from the dead and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. Who knows that scripture? Yeah? This was prior to Pentecost. Now, if Jesus says receive the Spirit, what did they receive? The Spirit. They received the Spirit. So, in a sense, they, at that moment, possessed the Spirit. They were born again. They were saved, marvelously saved, right at that moment. It was like a, um, a typology of that was when God breathed into Adam and he became a living man, breathed into the dust, right? Then God breathed, or Jesus breathed, and he said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. He gave them the Spirit. The breath of life of God entered them. They were alive and revived in the presence of God at that moment. Now, my question is, was that the power? Everyone should know the answer to that. Was that the power? Well, had Pentecost happened? Was that prior to Pentecost? It was prior to Pentecost. You know, what I'm teaching you here is a, is a theology and, and a doctrine that has been really, really messed up through the 20th century. It's gone in so many different directions, it's hard to tell what the truth is anymore. And so what I wanted to do was uncover what is the true path to Holy Spirit empowerment. Now, I'm not questioning, I'm not saying everyone who's a Christian right now is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, because there are. There are men of God and women of God around the world that are empowered by the Spirit. But I believe in the West we've received such watered-down teachings in relation to this that we've missed it. And we, we believe what the pastors teach, but we don't read the Scriptures and really ascertain, do we have the power? Do we have what is promised here? And I think the reason is this because we look for Pentecostal, what happened like uh, as they, they say you spoke in tongues. So if you speak in tongues, you must be baptised in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I don't think that's, what it's, that's a, a good way to ascertain whether you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I think is the power of the Holy Spirit should be evidenced by what we can achieve for Jesus? Because he didn't give us the power so we could... Gabalon in tongues. Do you know what I mean? Tongues are good. But the tongues, if you look at the order of tongues, it's the least of the gifts. It's the least of the gifts. It's the least emphasized. Paul said, I'd rather you all prophesy. Right? But we've got to, like, there's been people that have actually said, if it was up between the Bible and my gift of speaking in tongues, I'll take tongues over the Bible. There's been people that have said that. Right? So they, there's this raising up of tongues. It's this putting it up here, saying, if you have that, then you must have the power because that's the evidence. But is it truly the evidence? The evidence is the outcome, the sign that you are a true disciple, the evidence of the way you're impacting your community, the way you're impacting everybody that you meet is evidence that you have power with men. So Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. My question is, have we settled for a weaker version of Christianity than what the Bible speaks about? You know, if you think you have the power because some pastor says you have the power, are you going to strive any longer and pray and seek God to have the power? Do you know what I'm saying? If you think you already have it, why would you pray about it any longer? And I think that's Satan's ploy. Make them all believe they have the power. Tell them all. They all have the power. Why? Because you can speak in tongues. And do you know what? If you really want to get down to it, let's look at the Pentecost, Pentecostal experience. What happened at Pentecost? Was it the tongues of angels that were spoken? Absolutely not. It was the tongues of the languages of men. And there were about 20 to 30 different Nations all represented in that, you know, place or countries or, or languages. 
And they all heard them in their own language, didn't they? They all heard them in their own language. It was not the tongues that is now used, like what I call the tongues of angels, which is a gift of the Spirit. And I don't believe it's the tongues that were received on Pentecost. It was the gift. It's a gift. It's given you to edify you in your prayer life. It's not a sign that you have power. It's for edification. But you know what? There's even a protocol. If you don't have an interpreter in church, don't even speak in tongues in church. Why? And then he gives you the reasons why. Because people will walk out and say, you're a bunch of loony bins. That's why. They're going to go and say, these guys, man, they're crazy. I don't like how they are. They make me feel uncomfortable. They're gabbling on in a language I don't know what they're talking about. And they're jumping around having a good time. But I'm feeling sick in my gut and I'm fleeing this place. And Paul said that happened back then. There were people doing that back then. And that's why he rebuked them. He said, don't do it. Unless you've got an interpreter, do not even do it. Let the man who speaks with prophecy, because, you know, two words of prophecy can just lift the place. You know, and, and lift the church to new heights. But the, the, the tongues can actually pull the church down. Unless you're in private and you're in private, you pray in tongues. Or in a prayer meeting and you pray in tongues among believers that understand. Does that make sense? It's not a banishment of tongues because Paul said, I wish you all could speak in tongues. So what does that tell you? They didn't all speak in tongues. And then there's these cults around that tell you that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Where did they get that garbage from? And I know where. I've actually already crossed those bridges with them, but they still don't want to see it. They've been deceived, right? The increase of deception in this modern day. So what I wanted to find, when I started to see this, I wanted to find out what is the truth here, because if we're missing something, I want to get that thing I'm missing. If there is a power from God that could turn this nation upside down, I want it. Who doesn't? Do you want it? Absolutely. We want to be able to do like Charles Finney, just just chatting to someone and not even realising you're witnessing to them. And just in general conversation, that person goes home convicted of sin. And when Charles Finney bumped into that person the next day, they said, "Um, you know, they were gloriously saved. And he goes... And you did it. And he goes, what? When did I do it? I I just talked to you. And he said, that was it. That's all I needed. The power of the Holy Spirit come out from the man. Because he had the power. You know, who feels sometimes like you're speaking to someone and there's no power? Sometimes you feel like you get a string of words together and you think, oh, I got a good string of words together. The person still doesn't believe, but I got a good string of words. I convinced them my argument's true. But... I'm so often, last night I was at, we were at a party and I witnessed to a few people and I felt like I was like doing it all in my own strength. Where was the power? I'm going, where's the power, God? How come that person is not falling on his face and saying, I need Jesus? Because that is what is promised. So we've settled for a lesser version of Christianity. We have. We've been trained this way. It's, it's how we've all been brought into Christianity and accepted that. You know, have we yielded to an acceptable version, a secular version of Christianity, which is weak and powerless? I think, I think to the most part, the, the church en masse has definitely done that. And I'm talking about not the cult church, not the Catholic church and the Orthodox church. I'm talking about those that are truly by the book, that are right down the line, even we have settled for a more secular version of, of, in relation to this topic, of where is the power? I want to see the power. I want real, genuine Christianity the way it was in the beginning. And I know God wants that, and I know that's God's intention for the last day's church. God's going to raise a standard When the enemy comes in like a flood, he's going to raise a standard against him. And the standard is he's going to empower the church and the church is going to shine like it hasn't shined in years. And we're going to see thousands, if not millions of people come to know Jesus. And I believe that he's going to radically correct some really, really messed up doctrines that we've... And we've talked about lots of them, haven't we? The once saved, always saved 
watered down Christian doctrine, you know, and all this other this prosperity doctrines, all these doctrines that have come in and really messed up the church, left it in, a, in such a, a state of disarray. So we want the real thing, amen? Leonard Ravenhill, and Leonard Ravenhill is a really good um, guy to listen to in relation to this sort of stuff. He said, I'm astounded, bewildered, confused, and baffled. So he's pretty, like, astonished that when people tell me in America that we have 75 million people filled with the Holy Ghost, yet we're the rottenest nation on earth. 75 million people claim to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit through baptism, yet they can't get that country saved. That's a lot of supposed empowered people. You know what I think it is? My analogy is, you know, you know when you, as a kid, and I know back in our day, if we found an old bomb car, we'd jump in it, and that would be the car that we're going to play in for the next two hours. You know, uh, with, it would have no engine, be all rusted out. We're sitting in it on the old seats and we'd be playing in this thing. You know, we don't let our kids do that anymore, do we? No. But um, but that's the sort of, that's what the church is. We, we're sitting in this car. It's an old bomb. It's got no engine. It's all rusted out. It's got, you know, holes in the seats. And we think we're really driving a car. We think the car has an engine. We think the car is moving forward. We think it's a powerful car. Like my imagination when I was in those old bombs was I was driving a sports car. And it was an old, you know, VW or something. You know, but I was in this thing. That's the church at the moment. No power. No power. Believing and imagining we have it. Telling everybody all the time, you all have the power of the Holy Spirit. Get out there and evangelize the nation. And the next week, everyone comes back. Any new people in? No. Where's the additions daily? Where's the daily additions? Where's the multiplications? And this is what I'm after. And if you're up for the challenge, challenge yourself with it. Because you know what? If we secure it, if we get it, if we become transformed and changed as the power of the Holy Ghost grabs a hold of us, then we can achieve what God's intention is for this country and for all the countries of the world. You know? And I think it's worth it. Don't you think it's worth it going after this? Yeah? So I'm sick of talking to people and they just look at me like I'm an idiot. I believe that a good portion of the church has had a grave misteaching in relation to the baptism. One portion of the church believed that there is no actual Holy Spirit baptism any longer. That's a, there's a, a movement. They don't think that it happens anymore. Uh, another group believe that you're baptised when you first believe. John MacArthur teaches that sort of stuff. That when you first believe, when you first put up your hand and said, you know, I've received Jesus, that at that moment you're baptised. And you receive the Holy Spirit and so on, and after that, you, you supposedly have the power. Another group believe in a separate baptism from your initial born-again conversion, and, and I believe that too. However, they only look to tongues as evidence of that. They only look to, you know, and, and not the tongues of the languages of men like Pentecost, you know, and if we're going to look for the Pentecostal experience, you've got to ask them, well, did, if, you, if you claim to have the Pentecostal experience, was there a tongue of fire that came out of heaven? And they'll go, oh, no. Was there a rushing wind? And they'll go, no. Oh, did you speak to someone in Greek or Chinese or something? Oh, no. But you claim to have the baptism of the, uh, as it was at Pentecost. Yeah, I did. I speak in tongues. I said, no, no, no. The tongues isn't that. That's the tongues of angels. That's, that's, a, that's a different gift. Do you know where it says that? In, in 1 Corinthians. Just quickly turn there. This is where it's, we see the two distinctly different tongues is listed here. 1 Corinthians 13, and it's a famous verse, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Tongues of men, which is the tongues uh, of Pentecost, and the tongues of angels, which is the tongues that they took, Paul talks about as edifying the spirit in prayer. You know, and it, it's a distinctly different tongues. 
Alright, so there's been a grave misteaching. The first two groups are easily proved wrong that the Holy Spirit baptism is still for us today. Uh, and also the Holy Spirit baptism, the Bible clearly say, says, is a separate event in a man's life. And this is how I, I understand it. When Peter was told that um, when he was young, he dressed himself and where went, went where he wanted to go. And when he was old, someone else will dress him and he'll go where he doesn't want to go. When he was young, he dressed himself. He possessed the Holy Spirit. But when he's old, he will be possessed by the Holy Spirit. And he'll go where the Holy Spirit tells him to go. So when you possess the Holy Spirit, you still go where you want to go. You're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, you possess the Holy Spirit, you're marvellously saved. Amen? You go where you want to go, you can still function completely normally. Now when the Holy Spirit possesses you, that all changes. Now the Holy Spirit directs your path. Now the Holy Spirit tells you where you are to go. And sometimes it can, he can ask you to do the hardest things you can imagine. And you have to be obedient or else you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. So I believe one of the main reasons most Christians don't have the power is because they're not willing to give up everything of the world because there's too much to give up. There's too much to give up. That's why we've even got to ask ourselves, are we prepared to give up everything? And if you want to have a really... um, Good description of that in my book. So you think you were baptized with the Holy Spirit? There's a description of Reese Howes. Anyone learn heard of Reese Howes? Man of God from England many years ago. Um, amazing story. It's, he's got a book called uh, was a book written about him called Reese Howes Intercessor. And I I remember for years every book I read used to quote that book. And then I finally found it in a secondhand bookstore. And uh, I read it, and it just blew my mind. It was an amazing book. This guy was amazing. But he talks about his baptism with power experience and what he had to go through. And he was pressed to the wall with what he had to give up. And then when you realise what he gave up to get that power, and from that moment on his his ministry just absolutely exploded, you'll realise why most of us don't get the power of baptism. You know, and what I, I said to God, because I, uh, I, I, I didn't want to come in with a controversial doctrine that's going to just put people, you know, uh, on edge when I talk about it because it conflicts with all their views and makes people feel like they don't have the power and all this stuff. And God said to me, I'd rather than challenge with it now, deal with it now, get it right now so that one day I can baptise them. Then when they get to heaven, they get this rude shock when I tell them, you didn't have my power. They'll still be saved, but they'll be told that you didn't have the power. There was so much more I wanted you to walk in. There was so much more I wanted you to achieve for me, yet you didn't seek me because you believed you had the fullness of what I had to give. And I I know in my heart of hearts, I don't have the fullness of what God has to give. You know, how can we possibly have the fullness of God anyway? You know, look, God created the universe and everything within it. Like, there is just so much more he could do with us, isn't there? There is so many more things he could help us to achieve if we would just yield and hand ourselves over to him. Uh, So instead of looking at the evidence of the baptism being the acts that followed the baptism. Now, that's what I say is the evidence of the baptism, is the acts that followed. You know, if we get baptised... You know what would be getting written in heaven from the moment we're baptised? Is the Acts of Blessed Hope Chapel, South Australia. There'll be a book of the Acts. Now, don't get me wrong. You can do a lot for God without the full full power baptism. Has the church been doing a fair bit? I believe our church has been moving quite well. um, As in, God's using... Uh, me in my current state to, to you know, do some things for God, you know, on YouTube and that. And we're seeing, you know, little things happening here and there. But I know God can use me at such a great level more. I know God can use all of you at such a great level if we would just yield, you know. So there is still much that we can achieve even without God giving us the full power. 
But the, what these groups have done, instead of looking at the acts that follow, they look at the phenomenon of speaking in tongues as evidence. They look to the Pentecostal experience rather than the Pentecostal outcomes. And that's where the deception lies. The outcomes is what we should be looking at. Amen? And we're going to read a few of the outcomes as well. And not only that, but a watered-down version of tongues. And I've, I've gone over that already. However, the baptism was given to empower the church, and the evidence will be the acts that follow. So let's turn, just open to the book of Acts, because all these scriptures are in the book of Acts. Now, this is straight after Peter preached the Pentecost sermon, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. As said in verse... Uh, 41 of chapter 2, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Acts 2.41, about 3,000 were added. If you go to 2.47, um, praising God, this was after that time, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's go to Acts 5.14, just a little bit further on. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Additions, uh, Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So they're really turning the world upside down here. Acts 9-31. 931 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. It grew in numbers. It kept on growing. Acts 14, 1 to 3. Acts 14, verse 1 to 3. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace and enabled them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So they were performing signs and wonders before the people. If the word of God is true, then what we can draw from the words of Christ and the acts of the early church is that those who are truly empowered will have an incredible influence upon unbelievers. An incredible influence. Now, the church over the years has had an influence. You guys would not be saved unless someone had influenced you at some point to be saved, unless you were born into a family and you were a Christian from birth. You know, I know I had a conversion experience, and I know the hand of God moved very powerfully at that time. We've all been brought to the Lord, haven't we? All born into a family that is with the Lord. So... This power has been evident to a degree. But what happened there was remarkable. These, this is the difference. These people got converted and were immediately prepared to lay their life down for Jesus. And they became witnesses themselves. They got baptized themselves. And then they went out again. And then they, they were spreading the word. And it quickly and rapidly took a hold of that whole region and through those countries. You know, we need this. Amen. We need this. And I think this is what God wants to do in this day. They will heal the sick. They will raise the dead. They will cast out demons. They will give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and have astonishing encounters with God in the prophetic and in prayer. We will have dreams. We will see visions. Now, we can have those things and, and look, we can pray for people and see them healed and still not have the full power. But when you are empowered... You will go in and, and lay hands on the sick and you will know that God has empowered you. That person is going to get well. If God's placed it in your heart to go there, if that person's requested you and you pray, if that person doesn't get well, you will know, hey, hang on, I have the power. He's going to get well. There won't be any doubt and it will be confirmed and, and it will happen. It will happen. Paul didn't have any doubt. Could you imagine Paul, you know, does it say that he prayed for someone and that person didn't get healed and he prayed again and that person didn't get healed and he went, oh, forget it. You know, obviously God wants you sick. You know, you don't hear of that happening. You don't hear of that happening with Peter. And actually, I want to read you something. I'll just quickly give me a, just a tick to find it. 
What about when Peter, this is always not even what I was looking for, Peter heals a crippled beggar. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth. That's pretty heavy. You know, like that, that guy has never walked. That's, like, I would be so scared and terrified to pray for something that's never walked. Especially, you know, before people in a market. Um, and he was at the, the man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for them for money, but Peter looked straight, straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He had total confidence to pray. It doesn't say he didn't get up. It says he got up. If there was a man crippled from birth sitting in Rundlemore, and you went up to him, could you confidently and know without a shadow of a doubt that you could pray for that man or not even pray? He just said, get up. Just said, get up. And power came out. That's the power. You know, that's what we need. There's another one I just want to quickly find. In Joppa, this is in uh, Acts 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Yeah, this is the one. Supper named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. What I want to ask here is these were Christians who asked Peter to come. Why didn't they pray for Tabitha? Why didn't they pray or why didn't they go and say, get up in the name of Jesus? They weren't empowered. They were believers, but they weren't empowered. But they knew there was someone close by who did have the power. So Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs in the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. So he, this time he prayed, and then he said, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. Peter could do it. Actually, the disciples there had so much confidence that Peter had that power. They brought him. Now, there's straight away, if someone heard I was in the area and said, go and get Rob, you know, bring him, this person's died, I'd be going, what? What do you want me to come and pray for a dead person? Yeah, you have the power, don't you? Um, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'd be, I'd be packing it, especially if there's like a house full and they're all like, you know, I walk out, sorry, she didn't get up. And they go, but hang on, you're a man of God. Yeah, I am. And then I'd lose so many people on YouTube watching my videos in that area. You know, we need that power. We really do need that power. Reasons many don't have the power. They think they already have it. That's, that's the big one. Right? They think they don't, don't have it. They already have it. When people saw the name of my book, so you think you are baptised with the Holy Spirit, question mark. Christians go, right, throw that away. Won't spend 20 bucks to buy that one. You know, because it straight away questions something that they believe they have and they're not going to let anyone question them. And then they fool themselves. They tell themselves, my pastor has told me over and over again, I have the power because I can speak in tongues. Or I have the power because I accepted Jesus and that baptism came to me straight away, so I am empowered. But are they? 
That's the thing. Aren't they empowered? They think they already have it. They're the worst kinds because they're hard to reach. You know, they've got their minds made up. They have had it, but it needs renewing. So they might have had it and been empowered for a time and then maybe drifted, you know, and, and there's probably plenty of Christians around that might, because there's been some incredible moves of God in, in Adelaide and there's been people that have been baptised and been empowered. You know, remember at the Bethesda, there was some men of God that would come to the Bethesda and the power of God was coming out from them and there was some amazing moves, you know, that have ha- happened over the century, or in our lifetime anyway. All right, they are dreadfully sinful and don't repent. So that's another thing. They, 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 they want the power, but they just can't stop sinning. Who knows that God will not empower a sinful person, someone who's steeped in sin. You know, we must be clean before God. We must. The, you know, when we possess the Holy Spirit, you know what that period is then? From that moment forth, the Holy Spirit in us will keep us in check. He will make sure that we live in repentance. And I believe you don't really truly receive the Holy Spirit unless you have repented. Because without repentance, there's no room in your heart. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to come in and share that place in you with sin. So then we can actually be deluded into thinking, I believe there could be Christians out there deluded into thinking that they are Christian, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And how many of us have probably met people like that? You know, I, I talk to people all the time. I'll say, so you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you go to church? No. Not that that makes you a Christian or not, but that's the first thing. Do you read the Bible? No. Do you pray? Oh, no. Um, so what makes you a Christian? Well, I, I'm a good person. I, know I could pretty quickly prove you wrong on that one. But you know what? You can have um, all these false beliefs and believe you have something that you don't have. But these guys don't even know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they don't read the Bible. They don't go to church. They don't, uh, they don't mingle with Christian brothers and sisters. They don't tarry. That's another reason. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Before Pentecost, in the uh, in the King James, in the Old King James, it says um, to tarry, which means to wait, to wait, to spend time waiting on God, prayer and fasting and waiting and saying, God, I'm ready. I'm giving myself to you. Empower me when you're ready to empower me. We don't wait anymore. I know I don't wait long enough. They don't believe his word. That's another thing. Or they don't believe the correct doctrine in relation to it. They limit God by their own view of themselves. And so what, how they see themselves is, is how they limit God by God's ability to use them. So some of us will even feel that we're not worthy enough to be empowered. And you know what? In one sense, we aren't worthy enough. But Jesus says... You know, unless you take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. So what does that mean? If you want to get worthy for God, take up your cross. Be prepared to be a true witness for Jesus. And they don't walk in the spirit. I'm just going to keep moving just to finish the sermon. The fact that ministers have to plead with their congregations week after week to get out into their communities and tell someone about Jesus tells me that they're trying to motivate an unbaptized flock to do something they are not empowered to accomplish. If we have to keep saying, you know, get out there, talk to people, come on, you know, let's, let's save some souls, you know. What we're trying to do is we're trying to do it ourselves. We're trying to, you know, um, force people to do something that's just not coming out of them, you know. But you know what, if what's happening, I, I believe as God moves us towards this point where he pours out his spirit, you know, Joel 2.28 says, in those days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Right now, when Peter was first baptised and they asked, what is this? He said, he quoted that scripture, didn't he? He said, this is what Joel spoke about. Right? Now, that scripture had a, 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 an application for that time. It also has an application throughout the next 2,000 years because everyone has access to God now if they would just bow down and repent before him. So the Holy Spirit is ready to pour out on any man who is willing to receive him. 
but also it has an end times application because it also speaks that this time will occur when the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that future application of that, of that prophecy is that the harvest, the Jesus says, the harvest is the end of the age. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. There's going to be a massive revival. And he is going to do something in the church. He's going to infuse the church with power. He's going to raise the standard because the enemy is just coming in, as the Bible says, like a flood. He's going to raise a standard in his people. It raises a standard. The church is going to shine like never before. It'll lose that whole Laodicean paradigm. And it'll become the church she's meant to be. And then the revival that we've all been praying for, I know that there's been people praying for 20, 30, 40 years now for a revival of, of the Spirit through Australia and through other parts of the world. And we're going to see that revival. But it's going to be right, like on its heels will come the greatest persecution against the church in the history of man. And then the tribulation will take place following that. I believe. I'm not giving you dates, okay? I'm not a date man. But I believe that's going to happen. So we're going to see some incredible blessings. But after it, something terrible is going to take place. But you know what? When you're empowered and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to enable you to go through things you never thought you were capable of going through. You're going to be able to withstand things that you, like 20 years before, you would have thought there's no way I could ever have possibly withstood that kind of treatment. And here I am handling it and I'm praising God through the whole lot. Amen? That's why we need the power. That's why we need the power. It's got to be real. We can't play this thing. Christianity is not a game. It's not a thing that we pretend to do. It's a thing that is a real thing that comes out from us. It's a power. It's, it's God manifesting his church and using us to touch and impact people with signs and wonders following and if we aim for anything less than that, we've really, we're going to fall short. We've got to, that's that's got to be what we aim for. Amen? But I want to do it soberly. What I mean by that is I'm not, going to, I'm not going to want to run around and jump up and down and do chicken noises and roll around on the floor and, you know, get a big line-up of people and make them all fall down. Hey, if God moves that way, he might move that way for a short time. Who knows? I think it's been overdone. I used to go to a church and it used to happen every service. And it was always the same group of people up the front. It used to get me down. It used to embarrass us because people would come in and they'd go, great worship, great message, hated the ending, see you later. Off they go. And we're like, oh, man, if they just stopped doing that. If they just stopped it, it becomes ceremony. <laughs> You know how you know all the old churches got their ceremonies, the process, it, it became a ceremony, it became a, a regular thing, and it lost its impact. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't feel anything, and what, what about you? Do you feel anything? No. They obviously do. They're cackling and laughing. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. The world has made a mockery of that kind of those kinds of antics. There's still churches in Adelaide are still trying to do that stuff, and they're making it happen. I tell you now, if I got you all in the right mindset, I could get you all up in front of you and start praying for you and push you down, or you could just fall down, and you could all roll around laughing and have a good time. But, you know, is that going to help us? <laughs> is that going to help our cause? If it's, tell you, but, but understand this, if it's a real power of God, if God comes through this place and he just flattens the lot of you, the whole lot of you just go bang back in your seats, you fall on the ground and you just land there, you know, nearly unconscious or something, you know, okay, that's what God wanted to do. But I don't believe God will, will allow it to the degree that I've seen it. It was just overdone. And you know what? It all started over there in America and Toronto and Pensacola and all that stuff. And then we, all the ministers from here went over there, got a sense of what was going on. They came back to the church and immediately they started doing exactly the same thing. Copycatting. Copycatting. You know, how many times, did, you know, you'd go to the front for prayer and the lady would be pushing on Venus' head and Venus. <laughs> and then she'd lean in the whisper again, are you new to this movement? Are you know? 
And Vita goes, no. And then she pushed you and Vita, oh, all right, I'll go down a bit, just next person. You know? And then there was a time I went to the front and I'm, I really want to pray for this thing that the minister was talking about. And there was about 10 people in a line. And the minister came running down and he goes, fire, 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 like that. And they're all going, boom, 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 boom. And I'm going, oh no, he's getting to me. And, I'm, and he gets to me, fire, fire, fire. And I'm like, I can't fall. I'm, I'm cheating myself. And you know what he did? He pushed me in the gut and then he pushed me like that. And I'm like, and then I sort of go back like this, but I, I couldn't fall. The pressure to fall was enormous. That time in another church, it was like three or four ministers, they, everyone else is down for the count. They come up to me and they're all getting around me. I'm like, oh, I just can't handle this. All right, I'm going down. All right, yeah, I'll get on the ground. And then they all got away. Okay. okay. Anyway, so years of that, guys. Years of it. But at the same time, we saw some great things take place. But the other side of it was, I believe, after, uh, after what I experienced, wasn't genuine. The account of the Scottish Hebrides revival, that's in the, the last chapter of the book of um, God's Heart Cry for Revival, which I transcribed from a tape by Duncan Campbell. Uh, there was a, a, he says, was there any you know, crazy manifestations or weird manifestations? And he says, there was one church I was in that... Um, Everyone on one side of the church slumped forward and the other side of the church on this side, their hands went up and for about two hours, the hands were in the air and he said, even if you tried to pull them down, they were like frozen in that position. It was supernatural because who's trying to hold their arms in the air for more than five minutes? The arms start to really cane, you know, after about five minutes, ten minutes. These guys were stuck there for two hours. So it was a supernatural manifestation. These things do take place. But the worst thing you can do is start copycatting or trying to produce it. John Wesley, he, he, um, there was one minister who, because he had a whole bunch of um, um, ministers working for him, he had one minister who started to get into the antics and he rebuked him and said, unless you become a um, talk as dull and as plain as we do, you're not going to be one of my ministers. He said, speak dully and plainly, tell them straight and let God do the rest. But don't create fanaticism. He was against fanaticism. And Charles Finney called it emotional fanaticism. He was against it. Right? Now, these guys saw multiple thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Who's read a little bit about John Wesley? He saw, uh, he was the forerunner of the First Great Awakening, him, George Whitfield, and his brother Charles Wesley, um, and there was others as well. But the most incredible revivals, you know, 35, 40,000 people found him in a field and came out to hear his message. And he preached to that many people without a megaphone or anything, just with his voice. He had a powerful voice that could extend for you know, and reach out to masses of people, but they were dead against emotional fanaticism. They wanted a genuine move of God. And I think we've got to, we've got to always aim to be sober before God and God uh, see, use us uh, as a, uh, you know, like a holy people, a, a people full of love, a people that are genuine, a people that genuinely love each other, reach out to people that come in. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what God's calling us to. Not all this other garbage. Once we start to walk in that, then God can uh, start to use us and he will empower us, provided we, you know, seek after it. That's why he said tarry. He uh, pushes or urges us to tarry and wait. Okay, now I think I'm finished. Yeah, I am. All right, so thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for this, uh, this message. Lord, it's a hard message to preach. I find it a very difficult subject to, um, uh, to get out there because there's so many differing views on it. Everyone has a different view, different slant. But Lord, help us all to um, find that, that uh, doctrinal um, purity in this doctrine because it is um, the most important part of Christianity or one of the most important parts of Christianity. In fact, it was some of the last words you said on earth was in relation to this very subject. And so, Lord, we, we really do want 
the genuine move of your Holy Spirit here. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to see uh, the, the days that you spoke about in Joel come to pass in our time, and we want to be part of it. We want to be used in it, and uh, we want to be a, a people, a holy people, that you'd be pleased to pour out your Spirit upon and to give that power to reach to the masses. So, Lord, we, um, we yield to you now. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you put a, a questioning heart in every single person here, that they won't rest easy on this subject. And if, if what I've said has just sparked an interest, let it, let it sort of burn in them for a while so that they go home and do their research and look up um, this subject at length and get it really clear in their minds. Because, Lord, I'm not claiming to know it perfectly, um, but I, I do, I have questioned what I was taught and what uh, many uh, denominations are teaching at the moment because we do have to admit that the church, to the most part, lacks any real kind of power. Um, so help us, Lord, help us to be a people that will um, tarry and wait and seek after this, this power to reach mankind for you and Lord to see you glorified so that we can be those uh, ambassadors that you created us to be. We pray this in your wonderful name. Lord bless us this week. Bless every single person here. May they have an incredible week um, and may they be used powerfully for your glory and may uh, we all come again next week and get get together again and uh, just seek after you together as a church. Um, bless our fellowship now. Pour out your spirit on us so that we can all have have incredible uh, conversations together and just have a wonderful time in your presence in the name of Jesus. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.